Today in our study uh, of the Sanctuary Series, we are looking at lesson number 20, The Judgment Continued. And let's begin with a word of prayer, and, and I will invite you to join me in kneeling before the Lord. Father in heaven, how grateful we are for the opportunity to open your word and to learn more about you. And Father, we know that many, many people knew the importance and understood the importance of your word and were willing to lay down their lives so that we here in the last generation of Earth's history would have access to it at such a critical time. But Father, even with that, we need the Holy Spirit. Again, Lord, we approach the throne of grace, uh, not because we deserve it, but based on your invitation and what qualifies us is the righteousness of Jesus and his blood that washes away our sin. And tonight, Lord, is a very important uh, presentation. I pray that our, that our minds uh, will be illuminated uh, with your mind and that you will bring together everything that we need now so that this will come into clarity for each one of us. And we thank you, Lord, because you are our teacher. So, Father, you have promised in your word that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And so we welcome you, and you promise the Spirit to those who ask, and we are asking humbly. Thank you for this, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to recap a little bit of last night's presentation. And we asked the question, what really happens when you die? And that really is fundamental to laying down the groundwork to our presentation uh, today um, if we're going to really understand what theologians refer to as the millennium. Lots of talk about the millennium. Uh, we're going to be spending... Uh, uh, a lot of our, our thoughts will be derived from Revelation 20. And when we're really done with this presentation, you can go back and read uh, from the end of 19 and through 20, I guess from 1911 and through the end of 20, and it'll make a whole lot more sense to you after tonight's presentation. Um, but in our presentation last night, we discovered that Jesus has the keys to the grave, and he does not only because he is the Almighty, but because Jesus entered in our, into our experience. And uh, he did die, and he was resurrected. So he is qualified to uh, instruct us on what death is and, um, and also, um, of course, uh, he has conquered the grave. Uh, and what did we learn last night? What does the Bible teach about death? Well, one of the things we discovered is if, you, you under, if you're going to understand death, you have to understand creation because death is actually creation in reverse. And uh, in that creation, man was, uh, God formed him out of the dust of the ground and breathed into him the spark of life. And then man became a living soul. Not he wasn't given one, he became a living soul. So dust plus breath equals living soul, or being. Uh, and then, of course, death is creation in reverse. So the, the spark of life, the breath, returns to God, and the body returns to dust. And, you know, in, in, at uh, gravesides, we often hear the minister say, dust to dust. Isn't that true? We also discover in our study that God alone has 
immortality. And that the human family, the saved human family, does not receive immortality until the second coming. And uh, we also discovered that the lie about immortality was given to us by the devil at the Garden of Eden. And uh, we also learned that the, the wicked never receive immortality. The Bible does not say they receive it. And, of course, that the Bible calls death asleep. Well, tonight, we are going to look at phase two of the judgment. We studied phase one, the investigative judgment, when the genuineness of the commitment of people who profess to serve Christ is then investigated to see if, in fact, they did follow through and maintain their commitment and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, tonight's presentation, uh, we, we learn uh, in previous lessons that the judgment began on a, uh, on eight, in, 1818, in 1844, October 22, and that it dealt mainly with God's people. Tonight's presentation, we're going to take a look at two very important questions in regards to the judgment. And I want to pause right here and just say, I really enjoy studying the judgment. And, and the reason being is that it reveals to me the character of God uh, because ultimately, all of us have to answer one question and that is, can God be trusted? Is God who he claims to be? There are a lot of people out there that say a lot of things about God and they really, it really makes God look bad. And unless we study for ourselves, we're really not going to get a correct picture of who God is and God is amazing and he is, he is love and he's beautiful. But, uh, but that's the reason why the judgment so fascinates me. And uh, we looked at phase one. We're looking at phase two. And these are two questions we're going to seek to answer tonight. If the righteous are judged in the pre-advent judgment beginning in 1844 and ending just before the second coming of Jesus, when will the wicked be judged? That's a good question. The second one is, will the saved ever have a part in the judgment process? And we are going to discover that the answer to that is Yes. So let's take a look at question number one, and let's begin unpacking this most fascinating subject that we rarely hear anything, if we've ever heard anything about. Question number one, when do the saints engage in judgment? Revelation 20 verse 4 tells us, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ for how long? A thousand years. And, uh, and so this has to do, this is in reference to the saved at the end. They're going to live and reign with Christ for a thousand years, engaged in the process of judgment. Now, many of us have heard of the, we've heard the term millennium, right? You've heard the term. But the term actually does not appear in Scripture anywhere. Uh, where then does it come from? It actually comes from uh, this verse, the, the tail end, where it says a thousand years in Latin, Millennium means, uh, excuse me, milli means a thousand, unum means years. So though the word millennium doesn't appear in scripture, the concept does. Does that make sense? So this is where it comes from. So we're really going to be studying what goes on during the thousand years. What the Bible says goes on. There's a lot of popular things that out there uh, right now that, uh, that make money in movies. Uh, and, but, but if we want to know facts... We have to go to the Word of God and not be lazy and run to other people to tell us. We have to study for ourselves. Isn't that true? So we're going to see what the Bible has to say about the millennium tonight. Question number two. What events mark the beginning 
of the thousand years. Now, one thing that I have done, and I challenge you to do, and I've done a little bit here, and at the very back of your lessons on the final page, you will see a breakdown of, of the events that take place uh, as the Bible informs us of what takes place before, during, and after the thousand years. And, and I don't know about you, I am, a, I am visual to a fault. Uh, you can tell me, and I, don't, I won't get it. You can ask my wife if this is true. But if you write it down, uh, I, I, it's easier for me to get it. And uh, so I haven't broken it down for you there, but maybe if you have a blank piece of paper, you can be doing this as we go along. But what marks the beginning of the thousand years? And in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will what? Descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What event are we describing here? It's a, it's a second coming, right? So, so the second coming then marks the beginning, or, or, or at the second coming, the, 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 the wicked then, or the righteous then, are resurrected. And this marks the beginning of the thousand years. When Christ comes, the righteous uh, are resurrected, and uh, that becomes our starting point. Let's take a look then at uh, what happens about with the wicked. And in Revelation 24 and 5, it says, And they lived and reigned with Christ, referring to the righteous, for how long? A thousand years. So there's your thousand years. They're, they're resurrected, they go with Christ, and now they're with Him for a thousand years. Does this make sense so far? Okay. But the rest of the dead, okay, wait, not everybody was resurrected. Okay, so the re- the, those who were resurrected were the righteous, the saved. Okay, so who's the rest then? It's the wicked, the lost. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were what? Finished. So what we have here is our two resurrections. And the resurrections form the bookends for the thousand years. When Christ returns, the righteous uh, are resurrected the thousand, then they go to heaven where they judge for a thousand years. They reign with Christ. And then an event happens at the end of the thousand years which calls the wicked then to be resurrected. Do we have that established so far? Okay, we'll be coming, recovering a lot of material here. So let's take a look now at question number three. What else happens at the first resurrection? 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 53 says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. This is Paul writing. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be what? Changed. So, so there'll be people who love the Lord, who are the righteous, who will be alive at the coming of Christ. They're not going to die. They will be transformed. They'll be changed. Uh, in a moment at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on what? Immortality. And that's what we studied about last night, trying to understand death and when we receive immortality. It's at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So, so, so far we're learning that when the Lord returns, the righteous are changed, and uh, those who are living and the righteous dead are then resurrected. Uh, so let's keep adding to the picture here. Philippians 3.21. Who will, what's the next word? Oh, all together now. Who will what? <laughs> it's been a hot day, hasn't it? 
who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So this is telling us we will have real bodies. And now we're going to 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And then the lawless one will be what? Revealed whom the Lord will destroy with the brightness of his coming. So here, uh, the lawless one, it's in reference to the apostate Christian system that will then be exposed. And when the Lord returns, those who fell into that uh, made themselves enemies of God and they will be destroyed at his coming. And I want to say something right here, that God loves everyone. God doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. And, you know, when I first read this text, I just kind of pictured the Lord riding on the clouds with his AK-47 lightning gun and just kind of picking guys off when he was coming in. And that's actually not what's happening. God's presence is a consuming fire to sin. When Jesus came to earth to be a sacrifice for us, his divinity was veiled in humanity. If, his, if that had not been the case, his presence would have wiped out everyone. Does that make sense? So at his coming, the wicked will be destroyed. Revelation 16, 18, 20, and 21. And there was a great what? Earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Pause there. Boy, that's going to be a whopper. I don't know if any of you have ever studied the Lisbon uh, quake that was felt on four continents. That thing unleashed a tsunami of 60 feet, wiped out the city of Lisbon, its inhabitants. Uh, this, that is going to be nothing compared to the quake that is coming. And I continue. And look, look how massive this is going to be. Then every what? island fled away and the mountains were not found and great what hail fell, fell uh, from from heaven fell upon men each hailstone about the weight of a talent and a talent is about 75 pounds uh, to my knowledge earth has never experienced a hailstone quite like that it's really interesting in 1986 bangladesh experienced a hailstorm where the hail weighed two and a quarter pounds uh, 94 people were killed on that one. But you can imagine 75 pounds. That's going to be massive. And, uh, and then in Revelation uh, 21 and 2, Then I saw an angel. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil uh, and Satan, and bound him for how long? And then cast him where? Into the bottomless pit. So now we are discovering that Satan is going to be placed, bound on earth during that thousand years. While the righteous are, upstairs, are, are in heaven judging, the wicked are what? They're dead. And then Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. He's stuck on this planet. Now that word, bottomless pit, uh, is an interesting word. In the Greek, that word is abusos. And uh, basically what it means is, is, is chaos. Uh, uh, without form and void is how that word is actually translated in the book of Genesis. So let's open there really quick and take a look at that. Because what we're going to find is that just as death is creation in reverse, we're going to find that the destruction of planet Earth is actually is, is creation also in reverse. Same thing. So Genesis chapter 2, excuse me, Genesis chapter 1. 
<clears throat> if you're there, say amen. All right, Genesis chapter 1. You're familiar with this, um, this verse. Well, let's begin with verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was abusos. Bottomless pit. <laughs> it was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And, and so what we're finding here is, is the destruction that takes place at the very end. It impacts the earth to such a degree, and we're going to look at that a little more as we go along, that the Bible writer describes it as abusos, without form and void, a bottomless pit. And so this is where Satan's going to be for a thousand years, and he's going to be bound. Now, you remember that in the, in the Day of Atonement, uh, we studied that when the, the high priest went in to cleanse the sanctuary of all the sins of the people, symbolically, all of those sins were transferred onto him. And when he was done and he came out of the sanctuary, he went to the scapegoat, Azazel, placed his hands on Azazel, and those sins symbolically now were transferred on to him. And then by a fit man, the Bible says, he is taken to a wilderness. A wilderness is an, is an uninhabitable place, and that's where he's placed. And that's what we're seeing here. It was the play out. God was trying to teach Israel uh, what was going to happen at the end to Lucifer uh, and this was part of the drama. So here it is shown, here we see in the book of Revelation, this uh, Day of Atonement play out, now meeting its antitype. And now Satan is placed on this earth, bound by a chain of circumstance, because now he can no longer tempt. He's out of business. You know, oftentimes when we are when there's something in our lives we don't want to think about, we throw ourselves into our work. Anybody done that? The devil has been throwing himself into his work. He has had no time to really reflect on what he has done. He's had no time to really reflect on what he has brought upon his creator and upon the inhabitants of this planet. But for a thousand years, he's going to have time to think. I remember my son uh, one day when he was a little squirt, he was asking me questions about this and he was having a difficult time grasping this concept and I said to him, Bubby, just look at it this way. God is going to put Satan in timeout. And he got it. <laughs> point, <laughs> point of contact there. Um, he understood. So the devil will be bound by a chain of circumstance on this earth for a thousand years to see the destruction that he caused humanity. So let's just do, uh, take a look at the events occurring before the thousand years. Jesus returns for his, for his saints, that's the second coming. The righteous dead are resurrected. The wicked are slain by his coming, this great earthquake and hail. The living righteous are changed. The righteous meet the Lord in the air. We studied that. And the clouds carry the righteous to heaven. And we studied all those things. We're just pulling it all together. Does that make sense so far? Okay, let's, take, let's continue on and look at question number four. Who will be raised in the second resurrection and where, where will it take place? John 5, 28 and 29 says, All who are in the graves will hear his voice and 
and come forth uh, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done what? Evil to the resurrection of what? Condemnation. So we've already talked about this. These are the two resurrections that mark the beginning and the end of the thousand years. Um, and now let's take a look at Revelation 20, uh, verse 5. But the what? The rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. So the, the point I want to bring out here is that the, the wicked will live again. We're going to find out why. Let's take a look now. Question number five. What is the condition of the earth during the thousand years? This is a fascinating prophecy in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 4, uh, verses 23 through 26. And it says, I beheld the earth, <clears throat> and indeed it was without form and void. Does this sound familiar? Abusos, bottomless pit. There is, there's the word again, but this time it's translated form and void. And the heavens, they had what? No light. This is interesting. Something's going to happen to the sun. Fascinating. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled. I beheld, and indeed there was what? No man. And all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down. And here's the cause at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. And so what we're seeing here is not Genesis. We're watching what we see here is the end, the, the event, uh, the, the result of the second coming. If you open your Bible, take a look uh, at 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a text we looked at be, uh, a few studies back in reference to the second coming. And uh, if you recall, we referred to this uh, oftentimes, those who believe in the secret rapture refer to this as God uh, as proof that God will sneak up on the planet and then noiselessly wish, uh, whisk people off. But that's not at all what the text speaks when you look at the rest of the text. So, Second um, Peter three verse ten says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night." Then everybody stops there. <laughs> Got to keep reading in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Oh, it's not a silent event, is it? And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be what? Burned up. So Jeremiah here is actually is, is, is describing to us the total devastation of planet Earth at the coming of Christ. And it, it, there's no man alive. It's, it's uninhabited as far as humans are concerned because the righteous have all been taken to heaven, okay? And again, Jeremiah 25, 33, and on that day, the what? What's the next word? The slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. They shall become refuse on the ground. Well, why aren't they going to be lamented and why aren't they going to be buried? There's nobody there. There's nobody to bury them. Not at all. But Satan will be bound to the earth in this condition, bound because he is out of business. He has no one to tempt. Let's take a look now at question number six. Where will the saints be during the thousand years and what will they be doing? John 14, 3, so we'll look a little more carefully at this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there what? You may be also. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad the Lord is coming back for us? We're gonna go where he's at. 
Revelation 20 verse 4 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they lived and what? Reigned with Christ for a thousand years, and now our key text, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. This is an amazing text. Do you not, do you not know that the saints will what? Judge the world. And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, this is amazing to me. Are you aware that when the judgment process is done, we will know intimately every member of the human family? We will know them all. And not only that, but we will know intimately the angels that fell. We will know their names, what they were like before the fall. We will know them all. This is an amazing statement right here. And during this time, we are going to have a lot of questions that we're going to ask God. We're going to be judging those that are lost, making sure that the punishment fits the crime. But you know who, dis- who determines that punishment? Does, does anyone know who determines that punishment? The lost do. Jesus says that the measure that you meet out against others will be measured against you. The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. So the wicked actually determine the punishment that they're going to receive. The righteous just make sure that it is accurate and carried out. Does that make sense? Is that sound fair? You know, I, if you want some examples for this, you remember the story of King David uh, when he had committed a, adultery with Bathsheba. Uh, he was trying to hide his deal and uh, actually felt that he was above the law, <laughs> that he, could, he can get away with it. And, uh, but God viewed it a little differently and he sent the prophet Nathan to him. And you remember the story he gave. It was something that would have awakened David's mind to the enormity of what he had done. It was that story, because since he had been a shepherd of, of this man who had a little lamb that he loved and cared for, and a rich man who had flocks, one day has friends come over, doesn't want to take any of his uh, lamb, so he takes the lamb from his friend and, and, and has it executed to feed his friends. And David, of course, is just riled, and he stands up and he says, that man will pay for it fourfold. Do you remember how many children he lost? Four. The punishment came from his own mouth. So the measure that we met out against others, we will meet at the end. And you know, this is another thing that's really important to us to remember. This is the reason why God also uh, tells us not to judge people. You know, today in our society, there's a lot of confusion over judging. Um, they seem to think that if you call something bad, that's judging. No, actually, that's not judging. That's called discernment. If somebody whips out an AK-47 and mows down people at a, at a schoolyard, calling that murder is not judging. That's discernment. That's what they did. They committed murder. Now, why they did it, that I don't know. I may not know why they did it. Only God knows why they did it. You see, judging involves getting inside somebody's head. And you and I can't do that. But when the books are opened, we will then know the motives and the thoughts of people. Then we can judge. Does that make sense? Do you you see the difference? Um, 
We will know then. And, and we're going to have a lot of questions, you know, that we'll, you know, when we get there, we're going to say, hey, where's, uh, where's Pastor so-and-so? I, I'm not seeing him here. He was a, he was a, he was a nice guy. We all liked him. And, uh, and an angel's going to say, come, let me show you. And the angel will start turning pages, and we're going to see that Pastor so-and-so lived a double life. There were some secret things going on in his life. And as we turn the pages, we're going to see that God repeatedly was bringing circumstances and people into his life to turn him from what he was doing and that he, he pushed God away. What do we refer to that? The unpardonable sin, eventually. And so what we're going to find is God did everything he could to, ta- to save this dear soul. And uh, the angel will say, do you understand now why he's not here? Oh, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, God did everything he could. And then we're going to go, wait a second, that's my neighbor. He doesn't belong here. This guy was a rascal. I mean, there's been a mistake. And the angel's going to say, come here. Let me, let me show you your neighbor's story. We're going to find this guy had a terrible life, terrible abuse. He was a hard person. But he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And little by little, the Lord began transforming his life as he yielded his life to Christ. And he died in the process, but he showed a heart that was willing to follow the Lord. And the angel will turn to us and say, do you think this individual is safe to save? Yeah. They are safe to save. They were yielding to you. They were in the process. I get it now. And so these, these are the things... Uh, that we will be doing during this time. We'll be auditing the books of phase one. We'll have questions there, but also we will be making sure that the punishment fits the crime for, for those who rejected God's appeal for mercy. Make sense so far? Amen. Very, very important. Let's take a look at slide two. Events and conditions during the thousand years, the millennium. Satan and his angels are on the devastated earth. They have time to think, and the wicked are dead. And I failed to mention here that the righteous are judging in heaven. I'll have to add that on there. Let's take a look here on question number seven. What will happen at the close of the thousand years? Zechariah 14, 1, 4, 5, and 9 says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be what? It'll be split in two. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. So the Lord will return and he's bringing his saints with him. When they're done with phase two, when they're done with the judging and the audit in heaven, they will return to earth. But it won't be just them either. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, Then I, John, saw the holy city. What's that holy city called? New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So the New Jerusalem will come down as well. Let's take a look at question number eight. What will happen next that sets Satan free from his prison? Revelation 25 and says, says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now they're finished, right? Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Why? Why is he now released? Students? Because now he has somebody to tempt. The wicked are now resurrected. So he's back in business again. And what happens then? And what we find here is that nothing changes with these guys. Number nine. What will Satan do when the wicked are raised? Revelation 28 and 9. And will go out to what? 
deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, which is symbolic for the enemies of God, to gather them together in battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and did what? Surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So, so here what we're finding is that uh, Satan is not done. When the wicked are resurrected, he then convinces them to take the city. He surrounds the city. And what we find here is that we're at God, the big question to me is, why is God allowing this? God wants everyone to see that nothing had changed with these guys. That giving them another thousand years, giving them a second, third, or fourth probationary period will avail nothing because they had trained their mind to reject the voice of God. Friends, I want to share something with you. That is what we know as the, the, the unpardonable sin. We have got to train our minds to obey God, not to push away that voice. Uh, how many of you learned in your life that when you wake up early and spring out of bed, that for the rest of the day, you're pretty peppy and moving quickly, but those days that you drag yourself and you're looking at the clock and you drag yourself, the rest of the day is like that. Come on. When we train our minds to quickly respond to the Lord, we will find that the next time we're ready to do the same. Are, are you with me? And when we lollygag, we are placing ourselves in jeopardy. We don't want to do that. And so the, the, the angels, the fallen angels and the, the lost train their minds to reject the voice of God. You know, when I, when I read that, when, as I read that, what really amazed me was the realization that as these individuals circle the city, these humans, insider humans, for the first and last time in the history of our world, the entire human family will be alive. And as, we, and as those on the inside look out, they will know each one of the people that are out there because they had just finished studying their lives. They will recognize everyone that's out there. Whole human family alive. And here the devil takes his last stand. Let's see what happens next. At this critical, at this crucial moment, what will stop everything? Revelation 20, 11, and 12 says, Then I saw a great what? white throne and him who sat on it and the dead were what judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books and so just as the wicked are about to launch their attack christ then appears in the great white throne and and as only god knows how to do perhaps a big picture in the sky and, and the history of the world revealed, but everyone will see the role that they played in the great controversy. Everyone will see it. And, and, and the Bible says they'll be judged according to their works. And they will see the mercy that they rejected, the people that knocked on their door, the phone call, the invitation that was rejected. All will see. Well, what happens then? Number 11. What will happen after the wicked are judged? 
And uh, to me, there's an amazing moment. Revelation 14, 11. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall what? Bow to me. And every tongue shall what? Confess to God. Philippians 2, 10, 11 says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, both those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you a question. Will that include Satan and his angels? Absolutely. And to me, it's pathetic. What he refused to do in heaven, he will end up doing. You know, I I study with people, and I say to them, you know, give God a chance. You risk nothing by just giving him a chance. Taste and see that the Lord is... You risk absolutely nothing. And just see if God's worth it or not. Because if you don't now, you will admit to it at the end that he was. But it'll be too late. Does that make sense? Now is the time. And we risk nothing. You know, I, I share with you my, my testimony when... Uh, as a young man in my early 20s, I attempted suicide. And in the process, God arrested me and challenged me with this thought. Look where your life has led you. Why don't you give me a try? And I've never looked back. Best decision ever. And you know, the best is yet to come. The best is absolutely yet to come. And um, this to me is a, is a real tells me a lot about the Lord. You know, in phase one of the judgment, let me, let me back up and say this. You know, God is actually interested in, in, in what you think. He created you and I with the capacity to reason. And he respects that. He doesn't treat us like idiots. He respects us. He respects our freedom of choice, even though there are people out there right now who don't want to do that. But God does respect our freedom of choice. Love can't exist in an environment where there is no freedom. So God respects our freedom of choice. And he appeals to our reasoning powers. He treats us with respect. And and in the judgment, in the investigative judgment, God um, is, is dealing with the angels of heaven who didn't fall. And he's showing them the lives of the redeemed, of those who were sinners, those who were rebels against God, who repented and and now ask God to be their savior. God looks at their life and, and, and he's demonstrating to the angels how he's dealing with the sin problem in the lives of these individuals. And then he basically says to them, you comfortable with them coming? They're safe to save? And the angels go, yeah. Do you have any questions for me? Any questions? God feels those questions. Then, when everyone's satisfied, the second coming takes place. And now the righteous are sent back. Well, guess what? The righteous weren't there for phase one. Now they have questions as they investigate the lives of all. And in that process, questions that they had are being answered until it's completed. And God says, do you have Any questions? Any more questions? No, Lord, you did everything you could. So then he comes to earth. And this is the part that blows my mind, that he is actually concerned about what the lost think. He wants them to understand that he could do nothing more for them. And so after that process, they finally bend the knee and say, you were right. 
You were right. We have no reason to be lost. It's our own faults. You were right. You were just and true. There was nothing more you can do for us. And what God is seeking to do is inoculate the universe from sin, from rebellion ever manifesting itself again. Sin is insanity. It should never have happened. No one, it is, it is, it is stupidity to the utmost degree to rebel against pure love. There is no rationale in it. And even Satan at the end will bend the knee and say, you are right. You are right. <clears throat> My friends, at the end, all will find that God could be trusted. He can be trusted. You better believe it. And uh, so this is actually, we're touching now on phase three, which we will flesh out a little more in our next presentation. Oh, wait, I missed one. Uh, Revelation 19, 1 and 2, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, true and righteous are your judgments. You are right, Lord. Number 12, what will happen next? Revelation 29 says, fire came down from God out of heaven and what? Devoured them, destroyed them. Revelation 20, 14, and 15. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the what? The second death. There is no resurrection from this one. And anyone uh, not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, when I was, when I was young, um, I didn't really know the Lord, and you know my, you know my journey. And um, <clears throat> on my way home, from uh, traveling from Glendale where I went to school and uh, to Highland Park. I traveled on a road called York Boulevard and on the intersection of York and Eagle Rock, there was a church. And even though I wasn't interested in religious stuff, there was a huge marquee and whoever manned that marquee manned it like it was a ministry. I, I'm here to tell you, I don't know that I've ever since that time found a church that was as diligent and intentional with what they put on their marquee and, and, and put as much thought into it as whoever it was who was doing this. Because I, here I am, 57, I can still remember some of the stuff he put up there, the guy or the woman. But uh, when I think of this moment, I, uh, there, there was one message on the marquee that comes to my mind. I remember 17 years old looking over and I read it, stayed with me. It's, it was the definition of the word hell. It, it said, hell is truth seen too late. Hell is truth seen too late. And in mercy, there's nothing left to do but to put them down at that juncture. Let's take a look at question number 13. After the fire goes out, what will God do for his people? Isaiah 65, 17 says, Behold, I what? Create a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had what? Passed away. And 2 Peter three thirteen says, We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which what? Righteousness dwells. The effects of sin will be gone forever, forever. 
You know, I, as I travel here in northern Idaho, northern Idaho is, is beautiful. It's gorgeous. But compared to the earth made new, this is going to be massively ugly. Isn't that amazing? And you know, one of the things that blows my mind is that we're going to witness the recreation of the earth. You know, we're, we're going to study a little bit here and find that the walls of the New Jerusalem are actually transparent. And we're going to be able to watch God go through the seven days of, cre- of creation. And we're going to see all this. Everything that, w- there was no one around, no humans around the first time, but there will be the second time. And we'll be able to see the recreation of this planet. God speaking things into existence. So let's look at the events at the close of the thousand years. The holy city descends on Mount Olives. The wicked are resurrected. Satan attacks the holy city. The wicked are judged, punished by fire. God recreates a new heaven and a new earth. And number 14. Where will God and the righteous finally live? Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit what? the earth. And Revelation 21.3, behold the what? The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. You know, this is amazing when you think about the fact that Satan sought to separate man from God forever. But as a result of the, the fall and the plan of salvation, humanity now is going to be closer to God than if humanity had never fallen. Because now a greater revelation of the heart of God was made. In an effort to save humanity, God had to become human and now bound us together with Him forever. You know, it's really interesting. I just did a wedding in Michigan and, uh, and, you know, we often talk about a man, how a man and woman will will leave uh, their father and mother and, and become one. We leave and cleave. But if you ever look at the words of Paul right below that, he says he's talking about the Lord. He's using marriage as an illustration, that unity. And when he left his father, he was bound to the bride, the church. They became one forever. That to me is absolutely precious. And so... Wherever heaven was, it was the capital of God's universe, his, his massive universe. But now, heaven will be here. Now, planet Earth becomes the capital of the universe. This speck of dust in God's massive creation now becomes the place where God, the Almighty, dwells. And to me, I can't wait to see that because, you know, when you have ambassadors from other worlds to come and visit with God, they'll be coming here. We'll be able to see these beautiful creatures that God has created, intelligent beings, each one reflecting who he is in a unique and beautiful way. Well, let's take a look here at our final question, your response to Jesus. Won't you now accept our loving Lord's offer of spending eternity with Him where there will be no sickness, pain, sorrow, fighting, or death. Wouldn't you just now invite Jesus into your heart and prepare you 
for his kingdom, his eternal kingdom. Is that something you would like to do? Raise your hand. You know, the events that we see transpiring right now are indicating to us that we're nearing home. And if the Holy Spirit has touched your heart that there's something that's coming between you and him, friend, it's time to deal with it now. Train, let's train our minds to say yes to him so that on the day he returns, we can meet him in peace. Let's close out with prayer. Father, we're so grateful that you don't hide things from us. We're thankful for the word of God that you have given to us that unfolds for us the events that are not just transpiring now, but the events in the future. The events, Lord, that will bring hope to us. We're so thankful, Father, that you came to save sinners. You didn't come to save good people. There aren't any. You came to save sinners. Sinners, Lord, who want to be reunited with their creator. Sinners who want a new life, who are sorry for the sins they, that they have done. Sinners who will grasp the life preserver of the righteousness of Christ, his love, his blood that washes away our sin. We're so thankful to know that one day there will be no more rebellion, no more sin, no more heartache, that you will one day recreate this world into what you intended it to be, a place of peace and joy and happiness. Lord, we, there are also some unanswered questions yet, and in our next study, we're going to tackle some big ones. And so I just pray you'll continue to be with us through this week, and, and I pray that with every passing day, may your distinctive voice become more distinct and your guiding hand more clear. We thank you for this, and we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.